Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Raised to New Life. All right, so last week, if you were with us, we saw these amazing results of the powerful ministry of Philip down in the city of Samaria. If you remember from last week, Philip preached this good news of Jesus to the Samaritans, and they responded at least in two ways. The first thing they did was they believed. So in the Greek, that's trust, that's rely on, that's take the bank for yourself, the promises of God to you. And so they believed, and then they were baptized. And so when the apostles up in Jerusalem heard about the spiritual awakening that happened in the city of Samaria, they sent Peter and John down to check everything out. And so Peter and John arrive in the city of Samaria, They share the word of the Lord with these Samaritans. They lay their hands on these people. And when they laid their hands on these people, the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. And so the same Spirit that came upon the Jews in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, that same Spirit has now come upon the Samaritans in Acts chapter 8. And so on that wonderful day that we talked about last week, a rift was healed, a rift, a division that had lasted for centuries between the Samaritans and Samaria and the Jews and Judea. That rift was healed, at least among those who named the name of Christ. And I want to challenge you. You may have a rift with somebody in your life. There may be a division going on with somebody in your life. You need to know that in the name of Jesus and by the the moving and the power of the Holy Spirit, that rift really can be healed. You say, Pastor, you don't know my rift. (laughs) You don't know my division. Listen, it really can be healed. So commit to praying that the rift would be healed. And so the rift was healed between the Samaritans and the Jews, at least among those who named the name of Jesus And in those days, whether you were a Jew in Judea or a Samaritan in Samaria or a Gentile in other parts of the world, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were taught something very important by the apostles. You were taught that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in you all. And that's Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6. So they learned that truth, and that rift was healed, and now we go to verse 25 today. All right, so if you're looking at Acts 8.25, just say amen. All right, so now when they, that's Peter and John, had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. And so Peter and John share the word of the Lord with the people in Samaria. By the way, what do you guys think this is? (laughs) It's the word of the Lord. And so we're still sharing the word of the Lord 2,000 years ago. Isn't this amazing that we get to be a part of this? This thing called Christianity, which has plowed through 2,000 years. And so just like Peter and John shared the word of the Lord, so I get the privilege and the honor to share the word of the Lord with you guys in this hour. And so they did that in the city of Samaria, and then they turned around and they headed back up to Jerusalem, uh, sharing the word of the Lord with many Samaritan villages as they went. And so now we pick it up in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, 
rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And so Peter and John um, share the word of the Lord. They're back in Jerusalem, but now an angel appears to Philip. And this angel gives Philip his next assignment. The angel said, Philip, I want you to head down that road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. And so Gaza, right around 50 miles southwest of Jerusalem, and so we'll put it up on the screen. Here's your map. And so Philip is told by the angel, I want you to go down that road, 50-mile road from Jerusalem all the way down to Gaza. Okay, and by the way, Gaza, uh, the doc, doc, Dr. Luke uh, puts a little side note there. It's a desert place. It's still a desert place today. The Gaza Strip is a desert place, hot and arid, especially in the summertime, uh, very dry. And so the angel says, Philip, go down that road. And what did Philip do? He took the next step in the will of the Lord for his life. He got on that road and he started heading down to Gaza. And because he took that step and he went down that road, you need to know that he positioned himself for the next step after that, which would become one of the best experiences that Philip ever had in his entire life. And we're gonna read about it here in just a moment. That's his encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch. And so ladies and gentlemen, I have a question for you before we move on. What if Philip didn't take the next step? What if Philip would have remained in Samaria? If Philip did not take the next step, he would not have positioned himself for the step after that, which led to one of the greatest experiences in his life. And we wouldn't have a beautiful story in Acts chapter eight. I've said it in a recent messages, uh, message about a month ago. Often when the Lord leads us, he tells us to just take the next step. And a lot of times the Lord won't give us a lot of details. The angel did not give Philip a lot of details. He just said, get on the road, son, and start walking. He didn't say, and you're gonna see an Ethiopian. He's gonna be in a chariot. And um, uh, he's gonna be reading the book of Isaiah out loud. And I want you to, he didn't give him all those details. He just said, take the next step. And so often when the Lord leads us today, 2,000 years ago, he'll speak to your heart. He'll just say, just take the next step. Details, please. And why do we want details? Because we wanna control things. And the Lord's like, no, you just need to trust me. Take the next step. And if you and I will take the next step, we will position ourselves for the step after that, listen to this, which may become one of the greatest experiences of our lives. But what if we don't take that step? If we don't take that step, we won't position ourselves for the next step, and we may miss out, ladies and gentlemen, on one of the best experiences of our lives. Now, I don't know why the Lord leads me to write the messages the way I write the messages during the week, but I have a sneaking suspicion that word is for somebody, and so if the Lord's speaking to you about taking the next step, whatever that means in your life, just obey the Lord. Step out, you don't need all the details. Look at verse 27. And he arose and went. That's called obedience. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet who? 
the prophet Isaiah. And so when Philip went down that 50 mile road, when he got to Gaza or maybe near Gaza, he looked over and he saw a chariot. He saw an Ethiopian, no doubt, because this guy had a high position in the government, there was an entourage with him. And so he sees this guy traveling in a chariot. Now, there's a lot of things, at least several things, that I want to share with you about this Ethiopian from verses 27 and 28. So if you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to see is that this Ethiopian was from ancient Nubia. Ancient Nubia. And so Ethiopia, um, here in Acts 8, is different than modern-day Ethiopia today. Okay, so Ethiopia, here in Acts chapter 8, scholars say it's ancient Nubia, which was located just south of Egypt in the area of modern-day Sudan. Okay, and so if you look at your map there, if you see the Red Sea, say amen, so I know you're looking. All right, and so go left or west from the Red Sea, and if you can see those red letters all in caps heading up say, um, th that says Nubia, say amen. amen. All right, so you see Nubia? The kingdom of Nubia, just south of Egypt. This is where this man is from. Now, the Bible says he went to Jerusalem to worship. Now, that's pretty amazing. That means that wherever he is in Nubia, it's a big kingdom, he jumped in his chariot, he got his entourage, and he headed north. And no doubt, he followed the Nile River for the water, the water source. And he went up along the Nile River all the way through Egypt to the Mediterranean Sea. And then he hung a right, and he started heading east over to Gaza, which is not pictured um, on our map there, but um, you can kind of envision it. He goes to Gaza, and then he heads up northeast to Jerusalem. Now, the reason I'm bringing this out to you guys today is because when you do the mileage, depending on where he was in Nubia, this would be a 500 to 1,000 mile trip. Not in his BMW, but in a chariot. And so this guy's driven by something which we'll talk about here in just a moment. The second thing I want you to see is that the Ethiopian was a eunuch, a eunuch. Now let me just say, before I get into my content on this short point, let me just say that this is one of the many reasons that we have a children's ministry here at Calvary. One of the many reasons we have a children's ministry here at Calvary is that those, so, so those little ones can learn about the Bible on their level so that we as adults can really dig in and learn the Bible on our level, which sometimes, you know, the material in the Bible um, is just, you know, for adults. And so this guy was a eunuch. What does that mean? That means that certain men who were chosen to serve in various world empires Back in ancient times, various royal courts were surgically castrated. And somebody may say, why in the world would a man ever allow anyone uh, to do that to, to him? And the answer is, the, the castration, the surgery, would eliminate any temptation to become involved with any other member of the royal court. No king wanted drama on his staff, so to speak. Okay, and so... Being castrated would eliminate any temptation not only to not get involved with other members of the royal court, but especially not to get involved down at the harem with the king's concubines. And so these, men's, these men were surgically castrated 
um, so that they could focus on their work and not focus on other things. The third thing I want you to see about this Ethiopian was that he was secretary of the treasury. So Candace, which is, by the way, not her first name, like Mike or Sally or Joe, Candace, which was her title, like Pharaoh, Herod, or, or Caesar, Candace was the queen of the Ethiopians, the queen of Nubia, and she entrusted all the wealth of her kingdom to this one man, this Ethiopian eunuch. And so he was her secretary of treasury or her finance minister. He's a high-ranking ranking government official. And so think through this with me. This guy is affluent. He's well-educated. And not only that, he's trusted. He's a quote-unquote good guy. The fourth thing I want you to see about him, if you're taking notes, is that he went to Jerusalem to worship. Okay, so what's in Jerusalem? Why would this guy be drawn to Jerusalem? The temple is in Jerusalem. And again, he traveled a long way, 500 to 1,000 miles to get to Jerusalem in order to worship the Lord. What does that say? What does that tell us? That tells us that this guy was most likely a proselyte to Judaism. In other words, if you're new to the Bible, he was a Gentile who converted to the Jewish faith. At some point in his life, the life of the Ethiopian eunuch, he heard about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he, he thought, I like what I'm hearing right now. And he decided to convert to Judaism, convert to the Jewish faith, to put his faith in the one true God. Now, because of his physical condition, because he had been castrated, he was not allowed to become a full-fledged proselyte. And I'll let you read Deuteronomy 23.1 later on on your own time. But nonetheless, you need to know that this guy feared the one true God. He feared Yahweh. The fifth thing I want you to see is that, the fifth and last thing, is that he was reading from a scroll of Isaiah. And so because this guy was a proselyte to Judaism, he could have already owned this scroll or... He may have bought it when he was in Jerusalem. Walking around in the court of the Gentiles, maybe he saw someone selling scrolls. And now what you need to know is that whether he owned it or whether he bought it later, this thing was expensive. I mean, I think I paid 40 to 50 bucks for my Ryrie uh, study Bible. But, but, but back then, these scrolls, they were meticulously handwritten, each one of them. So they cost a fortune and so this guy, again, not only is he wealthy, but he has a hunger for God's word. He wants to read God's word, and he's willing to pay some big bucks in order to read God's word. And so look at this list. He was from ancient Nubia. He was a eunuch. He was the finance minister or secretary of treasury. He went to Jerusalem to worship, and he was reading from a scroll of Isaiah. Again, he's affluent, he's well-educated, he's trusted, he's religious, and he's reading the Bible. Now, here's my question for you. I want you to answer out loud. Is that enough for him to be saved, yes or no? No. You say, but he's a good guy. Hey, it's not enough for him to be saved. He's religious. He's reading the Bible. It's not enough for him to be saved. He's a Jewish proselyte. 
It's not enough for him to be saved. Ladies and gentlemen, what we have to understand is that there is a dispensation of grace that we live in that began with the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And from that time, from the time of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what is the truth of the matter? The truth of the matter is what Peter said in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Neither is there salvation in anyone else, for there is no, none other name under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved. What's the name? You, you tell me, shout it out. Jesus, that's Acts 4, 12. One way to salvation, and that's through our Lord Jesus Christ. You may, may know somebody who's affluent, well-educated, religious. You may look at that guy and say, man, he's got his act together, or, or that, that lady, she's got her act together. Well, what you need to understand is they still need Christ. Everybody needs the Lord Jesus Christ. And so because the, the Ethiopian needed Christ, that's why we have our next verse. So please look at verse 29 now in your Bibles. Look at verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Now follow the logic here. If this guy was a good guy, a religious guy reading the Bible and he didn't need Christ, why in the world would the Holy Spirit tell Philip, go talk to him? Do you see that? If you see that, please say amen. amen. Okay, so please don't believe this whole thing of, oh, everybody's a child of God, everybody's going to heaven, you know, let the other people in other countries worship the way they wanna worship God in their own way, everybody's a child of God. You, listen, universalism is not true. We need Jesus. And so because Philip had a close relationship with the Lord, because he had been walking with the Lord, he could discern the voice of the Lord. And that leads you to your next point. If you're taking notes, very important point, and that is that Philip was sensitive and obedient to the Spirit's leading. Now we're getting into new covenant stuff here. So please listen like with Dumbo ears right now, okay? Philip was sensitive and obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He was sensitive. That means that he had a relationship with the Lord, a close relationship with the Lord. He's walking in the Spirit. That way, when the Holy Spirit speaks, he can discern God's voice. And not only is he sensitive, he's also obedient. That's very important. How many of you guys know that you can walk with the Lord and be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and you may be sitting at your cubicle at work on Wednesday and the Holy Spirit may speak to you and say, I'm break, I want you to share the love of Jesus with somebody. And yet, even though you're sensitive and you can discern the voice of the Lord, break comes and goes and you don't share. You see, you gotta be sensitive and obedient. I have to be sensitive and obedient like Philip. And Philip's so obedient, this guy starts running. Check it out in verse 30. I, I, I love this story. It says, so Philip, what's the next word? Ran. Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. So this guy is sitting in his chariot reading the Bible out loud. Reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, do you understand what you're reading? Now, I want you to picture the scene. Maybe, perhaps, at this point, by this time, the Ethiopian had pulled the chariot over under a tree somewhere near Gaza in order to take a reading break. Maybe, 
But I think he's actually reading as the chariot is moving. And the reason I believe the Ethiopian is reading Isaiah out loud while the chariot is moving is because the Bible says that Philip took off running after the chariot. Why? To catch up because it's moving. And so I want you to picture the scene. Here's Philip and he's running. He's getting closer and closer. And all of a sudden he's running next to the chariot. He looks at the Ethiopian. The Ethiopian looks at him. And he says, probably out of breath by now, hey, I, I, I hear you're reading Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading? Or maybe he's a marathon runner and he has no problem. He's just like, hey, man, you're reading the Bible there. Do you understand what you're reading? And look at verse 31. And the Ethiopian said, well, how can I unless somebody guides me? Stop the chariot, right? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Do you guys understand that God is all over this encounter? Do you guys see that the Lord God is so evidently lining this whole thing up, causing this meeting to take place? It's so obvious. And so if the Lord set up this meeting, what does that mean? It means this. It means that God is sovereign over evangelism. God is sovereign over evangelism. Therefore, we need to let him lead us. We don't control it. We need to let him lead us. We need to have a close relationship with him. We need to discern his voice. We need to be sensitive to his leading and be obedient to his leading, but we need to let the Holy Spirit lead us in evangelism. What did the Holy, well, what did the Holy Spirit say to Philip in verse 29? Check it out. He said, go over and join, you tell me the next two words. You see that? How many chariots did Philip see as he went down the road from Jerusalem to Gaza? The 50 mile road. It could have been five, could have been 10, could have been 20. But the Holy Spirit said, go overtake or join this chariot. See, this specific chariot is where the Holy Spirit led Philip to. Why? Because the Lord had been drawing this Ethiopian. The Lord had been wooing this Ethiopian. The Lord had been doing a prior preparatory work in the heart of this Ethiopian so that he would be able to hear the message of the good news of Jesus. Follow my thinking here. Jesus said in John 6, 644, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who, draw, who, who sent me draws them. Okay, so why does the Father have to draw somebody to Jesus? Here's why. It's because unless the Father draws, we would never go. <laughs> we would never come to Jesus. Listen to the word of God. And listen, you, you gotta understand these basic biblical doctrines because when you understand these basic biblical doctrines, it makes God's grace all the more amazing. 
Listen to the word of God. Romans 3, 10 and 11. There is none righteous. No, not one. No one understands. Listen to this. No one seeks God. No one seeks God in the world. You see, apart from Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2, 1 says that we are dead. Please say the word dead. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Therefore, we do not seek God. And that is why the Lord in his love and mercy and grace seeks us and draws us and prepares our hearts so that we can receive the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. You say, well, what does that have to do with evangelism? Everything. Because we get to join the Holy Spirit in his work. Ladies and gentlemen, it's his work. It's not our work. It's not our program. John Phillips, one of my favorite authors who's with the Lord now, said this. We are not called upon to witness to everyone we meet. Has anybody ever been to those churches where the pastor tries to put you on a guilt trip? And what happens is you start sharing the gospel out of a motivation of guilt or you share the gospel out trying to impress people, trying to get another notch in your belt or whatever, and it's all a work of the flesh. Listen, we are not called upon to witness to everyone we meet, but we are called upon to speak to those who have been prepared by the Holy Spirit. Some people think, I've got to witness to everybody that I meet. Listen, but if they're not being led by the Holy Spirit, they may do more damage than good. And how many of us know people who've been accosted publicly by very aggressive people with the gospel and they've been turned off from Christianity because of a, a form of evangelism that is not of the spirit, it's of the flesh. We can do more damage than good when we're aggressive, when we're argumentative, and when we're especially not attentive to what the person is saying. So often, you know, you, you, you memorize this 20-minute canned speech and you go to someone you haven't even prayed about and you just like start downloading a canned speech on somebody without even giving them a chance to talk. It's just not natural. And so here's, here's what we need to do. We need to make sure, 1 Peter 3.15, that we're always prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that we have Listen to this. But we do it, 1 Peter 3, 15, with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. What if every Christian was gentle and respectful? I think we'd have a lot more people in our churches. But the problem is a lot of Christians are rude and they're argumentative and they're confrontational and they try to share Christ sometimes with the wrong attitude where it becomes a debate. And, and ladies and gentlemen, it's not right. And don't say, well, it's because I'm so bold in the Lord. No, you're not. You're in the flesh. Be led of the Lord, be gentle and respectful, and pray for open doors. David Guzik, a fellow Calvary Chapel pastor, said this, one of our greatest jobs is to simply pray for open doors. Then having prayed for open doors, we must keep alert. That's important because we're all busy, right? We must keep alert to the opportunities God presents. Philip was effective as an evangelist because he knew how to flow with what the Holy Spirit wanted to do. And so our regular prayer needs to be, Lord, 
Please open a door. Maybe today, Lord, open a door so that I can share the love of Jesus with somebody. And then, if you're gonna pray that prayer, get ready, because the Spirit of the Lord, just like he did 2,000 years ago, may speak to your heart and may lead you to share the love of Jesus with somebody. Now, how many of you guys really believe this is important? Let me ask you another way. How many of you guys are glad right now that you know Jesus Christ? I am. But it can't be us four no more. We can't just keep it all to ourselves in these four walls. We have got to be open to the leadership of the Holy Spirit and share with those that he's been doing a prior work He's been leading, he's been drawing. And so pray for open doors, and when the door is open, walk through it. Say something. It may be as easy as, um, do you consider yourself a believer? That's pretty simple, right? We could all say that. Do you consider yourself a believer? And then if the door is open, maybe share how you became a believer. And talk about who you were before Christ. This is called your testimony. I've shared this before. Who you were before Christ. How you met Christ. And how you are or the way you are now that you've been changed by Christ. Three simple points. It's your story. You don't have to memorize anything. And you can share it in natural conversation as you're listening to this person share back. Now, if they put the wall up at any point, Stop sharing. Don't get in the flesh and say, oh, I gotta be a bull in the china shop and just press through that wall. No, you could do more damage than good. If they put the wall up, just say, okay, man, that's a, maybe some other time. But if the wall's down, keep going through the open door. Invite him to church. Ask if you, if, do you wanna receive Christ now? Listen, the Lord, do you guys really believe that the fields are white unto harvest? Do you really believe that God is not willing that anybody should perish? Do you really believe that we have good news that can give people hope in this life and the next? If that's true, do what I did this past week. Put pray for open doors on the top of your to-do list because I'm a busy guy and I get really, really busy. I think this past week I was doing 10 hour days every day. Um, and so I'm a busy guy. And so I gotta write it down at the top of my list, pray for open doors because God's calling all of us, whether we're busy or not, to share this good news of Jesus. The Ethiopian invited Philip to come up and sit with him in his chariot. Now look at verse 32, let's see what happens. Verse 32, now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him, and who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Now, obviously we have Bibles with chapters and verses. This is just a scroll of Isaiah. But how many of you guys know what chapter in Isaiah he's reading from? Just shout it out if you know what chapter it is. 53. More on that in a minute. Verse 34, And the eunuch said to Philip, 
about whom I ask you, does a prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Those of you guys who know the Bible, you know Isaiah 53. Yes or no, was Isaiah writing about himself as a suffering servant? Was he writing about Israel as a suffering servant? No, no, who is he writing about? Jesus. 700 years before Jesus came to earth. Verse 35, then Philip, all right, I want you guys to say the next three words. Go ahead. You see it? At some point, we gotta open our mouths. I'm saying this especially to the introverts like me in the room. The extroverts, you know, you have no problem. Sometimes you gotta tone it back a little bit. But the introverts, no, 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 open his mouth. There's a phrase going around churches. It's been going around for 20 years or so. I don't like the phrase. Have you ever heard this? Share the gospel and when necessary, use words. You ever heard that? Share the gospel and when necessary, use words. Okay, I, whoever made that sentence up, um, I understand where they're coming from, right? We have to live it before we say it. We gotta, no, one's, no, no one wants to listen to a hypocrite, right? I, I get that, but the bottom line is, listen, at some point, you gotta open your mouth. And this is what Philip does in verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about who? About Jesus. And so Philip used the passage this guy was reading, Isaiah 53. In my estimation, in my opinion, Isaiah 53 is the greatest Old Testament prophecy about Jesus in the entire Old Testament. It's absolutely amazing. And this guy just happens to be reading Isaiah 53. What a coincidence. No, no, no. How many of you guys know there are no coincidences? This is a god God is all over this. And what I did just a few months ago on Palm Sunday, April 14th, is I preached on Isaiah 53. I started in Isaiah 52, 13. I went verse by verse all the way through that's that prophecy written 700 years before Christ that describes Christ's suffering and death and resurrection to a T. It's the most amazing prophecy. If you haven't listened to that message, go back on our podcast and get it. Man of Sorrows from Palm Sunday, April 14th. Now, what was the result of Philip sharing the word of God with this guy? The result was he came to faith in Jesus. Why? Because Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. Now look at verse 36. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? All right, and so at some point in the conversation while they're up in the chariot, maybe it was a half hour conversation, a two hour conversation, we don't know. But at some point in the conversation, as Philip's sharing Jesus from Isaiah 53 with the Ethiopian, he talked about baptism, right? And the reason we know that is because later, as they're going down the road, they see water, and the Ethiopian's like, hey, there's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And the Textus Receptus, which is Latin for the received text, says in verse 37 that Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the Ethiopian responded, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, everybody look at verse 38. And he commanded the chariot to stop. Stop the chariot. 
And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when he came up out of the water, I love this, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Okay, so um, the two words carried away in the Greek, it's harpazo. It's the same word that's used in 1 Thessalonians 4.17 for what the Latin Vulgate translate as um, raptus from where we get our English word rapture. Carried away, snatched away. Now, Philip wasn't snatched away to the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That's later on, right? But he was snatched away. He was carried away to another city. And so the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. All right, so can you see this? I mean, put yourself in the sandals of the Ethiopian. You're baptized in the water. You come up out of the water. You're dripping wet. You look over at Philip. He's smiling, and all of a sudden, poof, he's gone. Snatched away. And you're thinking, I love this Christianity stuff. This is cool. And he rejoices. Put yourself in Philip's sandals. You baptize the Ethiopian. He comes up out of the water. You're smiling at him. And all of a sudden, poof, you're gone. And poof, you're in another city. And you say, "Uh, excuse me, where am I? (laughs) Because you don't know where you are, right? And so this is what literally, this, how many of you guys believe that this is not a fairy tale? This actually happened in history. This actually happened in history. And so verse 40, Philip found himself at Azotos, Ashdod, one of the five famous ancient Philistine cities just north of Gaza. But Philip found himself at Azotos, and he passed through, as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea, which we're gonna find later in our study of Acts. I think it's 20 years later, and it won't take us 20 years to get through Acts. But as we go through Acts, we're gonna find 20 years later, Philip is married, uh, he's living in Caesarea, and he's got four virgin daughters who have the gift of prophecy. Now, as we start to wrap up this message, there's several things I want to share with you about baptism. Now, no matter where you are in your Christian faith, you may be brand new to the Christian faith. You may have been walking with the Lord for 30 years and you were baptized 30 years ago. No matter where you are in the Christian faith, it's so very important that you stay with me all the way to the end here and you get this Bible doctrine. Why? Because it's not just the job of guys like us to share these truths, especially a truth about baptism. We rely on the whole body of Christ to share these kind of truths with other people. So you wanna be equipped to be able to share this. You guys ready for this? The first thing I want you to see about baptism is that we must believe before we are baptized. We must believe before we're baptized. You say, where do you get that? It's called the book of Acts. (laughs) It's all over it. In Acts chapter two, Peter's preaching to a big crowd of Jews and 3,000 of them believe on Jesus and then they're baptized. You go to Acts chapter eight, you saw it last week, and Philip, he's preaching to the Samaritans and the Samaritans believe first and then they're baptized. That's Acts eight twelve. And then you get to our story today. And so here's Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip shares the gospel with this guy and the guy believes 
and then he sees water, and then he's baptized. Next week, we're gonna go to Acts chapter nine. You have Paul the apostle, and he has an encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He believes, and then later, he's baptized. And then you go over to Acts chapter 10, and Peter is in the home of Cornelius, and every pastor's dream, as he's sharing the word of the Lord, they believe, and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They believed, and then they were baptized. You turn over to Acts chapter 16, and Paul is sharing the gospel with Lydia, and Lydia opens her heart, and actually the Holy Spirit opens her heart, and she believes, and then she's baptized. And then you keep going in the book of Acts, later on in Acts chapter 16, and a Philippian jailer, he says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your house. And what happens next in the text? It's so obvious. They believe and then they're baptized. And then you go over to Acts chapter 18 and Paul is preaching to Crispus and the Corinthians. And what happens? They believe first and then they're baptized. You say, pastor, what's your point? I hope it's obvious by now. I hope it's super obvious that we must believe before we're baptized. Ladies and gentlemen, all these passages rule out infant baptism. All of them. Which advocates being baptized and then later believing. I shudder to think about how many adults are there who think because they were baptized as an infant, they're on their way to heaven. Because they were baptized as a baby, they think, I'm good. But they've never been born again through faith in Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, no one is saved until they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And then after they're saved, they should be baptized. This should not annoy you this is the word of God. And so this is why we don't baptize infants or little children in this church. If you're a mom and dad, please, please listen to me. The babies and the, inf the, the infants and the little children do not have the, the mental capacity to understand the gospel. They don't have the mental capacity to believe. And so what needs to happen? What needs to happen is that we need to be patient and we need to be prayerful, and as they grow and as they mature and as they develop, once they are convicted of their sins, once they really understand I'm on my way to hell, once they really believe that I need a savior, and once they understand that Jesus died for me and rose again and, and I'm gonna receive him as my savior, and they don't, they don't, listen, moms and dads, please, don't make your kid memorize a little script to say the script to the elders so that we can baptize them. You're not helping your kid at all. They're just getting wet. You need to be patient and prayerful and let your kid come to that point in their lives so it's real for them. And once they're convicted of their sins and convinced of their need for a savior and they choose to receive Jesus Christ, guess what? Then we'll dunk them. No problem dunking them. It'll be an honor to dunk them. Which leads us to our next point, 
if you're taking notes, and that the meaning of baptism, baptizo literally means to immerse. It means to dunk. <laughs> Look at verse 38 and 39. I'll prove it again from the scripture. It's all over the place. But, and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, so it's very obvious, Philip did not pour water over the Ethiopian's head. They went down into the water, and they came up out of the water. That's baptizo, that's immersion. The third thing you need to know about baptism is that it does not save us. If you're with me, say amen here. Listen, listen, listen. Some teach that baptism cleanses us from the stain of original sin and infuses us with the grace of God. They teach that baptism regenerates us spiritually. I disagree. And by the way, this is the motive why some parents baptize their infants. Because they think, if my infant dies, I don't want my infant to go to hell. So I'm going to let the minister pour water on his or her head. Ladies and gentlemen, don't you understand that God has all the little babies in his hand? I don't care where they come from. I don't care who they are. He's got all of them in his hand. And when, God forbid, an infant dies, they immediately go into the presence of a loving, grace, gracious, heavenly father. Immediately. You say, where do you get that? I get it scripturally from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23. When David and Bathsheba messed up, she got pregnant, she gave birth, that baby died. And David had been fasting and praying that the baby wouldn't die, but the baby died. And then after the baby died, he stopped fasting, and they're wondering, why you stopped fasting? And, and Dave, David, King David, who knew the Lord, who loved the Lord, who had a heart after God, he said this, and I quote, speaking about his baby, I will go to him, but he cannot return to me. David, when David took his last breath, he went to be with his little boy. Why? Because that little boy, when he died, went straight into the loving arms of a heavenly father. And so, yes, what I'm teaching is based on the word of God. And so some teach that baptism cleanses us from the stain of original sin, that it regenerates us. I have, I have a question for you guys. What alone can wash away our sins? Nothing but the, the blood of Jesus. Who alone can spiritually regenerate us? The Holy Spirit in response, not to our baptism, but in response to our faith in Jesus. I want you to consider the thief on the cross. At some point, as he's hanging there, he has a change of heart, right? And so he looks at Jesus, and he says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, the question I have for you is, as Jesus is hanging on the cross, and he looks over at the repentant thief, did Jesus say, well, I'm so happy that you've come to believe in me, but, but don't you understand, you gotta be, believe and be baptized. And since you're pinned to that cross, I don't think you're being baptized today. And so no paradise for you. Is that what Jesus said? No. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And when that repentant thief took his last breath, he immediately went into the presence of the Lord. Why? Because salvation's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Don't complicate the gospel. 
Don't complicate the gospel. Don't get religious. Fourth and last point, and I'm done. Baptism illustrates our identification with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the meaning of baptism. I get that from Romans chapter six, three and four. And so listen to the word of God. Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. This is why you hear the elders say, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Why? Because baptism pictures our identification with Jesus in his death and our identification with him in his resurrection. Our old man, our, our old woman, the sin nature, they're buried beneath the waters, but we come up and now all of a sudden the sin nature is rendered inoperative and we have a new nature. We're identified with Jesus in his newness of life and by the power of the spirit, we can actually live a victorious life and God gets the glory for all of it. And so, that's baptism. And so, if you have not been baptized since, everybody say the word since since you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just know that it's a commandment. And so next weekend, we're gonna be baptizing people. We're gonna dunk some people, and we'll put it on the screens during worship, but July 6th and 7th, that's Saturday night, Sunday morning during 9 and 11. And so what you gotta do is you gotta go to our website, calvarypsl.com, and you gotta click next steps, and you gotta sign up, and somebody on Pastor Matt's team will sign you up, and just know that it is a commandment. It's not a suggestion. Jesus said, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a commandment from the Lord. So if you'd like to show outwardly what's already happened to you inwardly, that you've been raised to new life, I'll encourage you to sign up for baptism today.